Genesis chapter 39. We're going to finish a study today on the life of Joseph. I have uh, been in Genesis studying the life of Joseph uh, for two weeks. This will be the third sermon on the life of Joseph. I imagine one of these years I will do a much more thorough study on his life. I could certainly spend another three or four weeks examining um, his rise to fame. But this morning we want to kind of finish up our thought on the study of the life of Joseph because it's been a couple of weeks. Um, I just want to read the last verse of Genesis 39. It'll be verse 23. It kind of reminds us where we were when we left off last time in the life of Joseph. Verse 23 says, The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Let's pray. Father, this morning we love You. We are grateful for the privilege to come and worship You. Father, we pray, God, that this morning that You would move in our midst, Lord, that You would have Your way and Your will with us. God, we acknowledge that without You, we can do nothing. God, this morning, we humbly depend upon You to move in our hearts. God, I acknowledge now that I need Your anointing and the unction from heaven. God, I pray that You'd send it, Lord. God, I pray that You'd move on our hearts this morning and that anybody who needs to be saved would be saved this morning. Lord, I pray that Your Word would challenge and encourage Your people to stand faithfully for You at all times and in all places. And God, above all things, I pray that You would be lifted up and glorified. God, that we would be reminded this morning that there is none who can come against You. That You are the almighty, all-powerful God, the one and only. Lord, we just ask this morning, God, that You would move in our midst, that You would have Your way with us. We ask these things in the precious name that is above all names. In the name of Jesus Christ, Amen. Okay, so Joseph is in prison. This is where we finished last time as we were in part two of the Joseph study. So far at this stage in Joseph's life, Joseph has been promised that God was going to do something great. Joseph was approximately 17 years old when God gave Joseph that promise. And if you remember young people, in week one, we briefly discussed that as young people, you have the command to serve God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. That you don't need to wait until you're an adult, until you're old, until you're married with children to be serving God with all of your strength. And that God uses young people to further His name and His purposes here on this earth. But God told Joseph, when Joseph was 17, I'm going to do something great in you. He gave him a dream that that in essence was symbolic of him rising to the top of the ranks of his family and all of his brothers worship, falling down and not worshiping him, but bowing to him. Sounded like a great thing. All of us, I think, would like to see a dream like that where we're high and lifted up and everybody around us is paying us honor and tribute and respect. Shortly thereafter, though, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. And then as a slave, he was eventually lied upon by his master's wife and put into prison as a consequence of her lies. And in the text that I just read you, we have found Joseph in 
prison. Doesn't really sound like God's working out His plan, does it? Can I tell you, for everybody who's ever truly been called of God to do anything, there will come a time in your life when you wonder this question. Was that really God showing me that vision? Was that really God calling me to this? Because when I look at everything else going around me, surely that couldn't be God. Maybe it, and really, to some degree, every one of us in our Christian faith hit that place. God, did you really call me to do this in my life? Did I really surrender to you? Did I really believe what you said? Because when I look at where I'm at, and I'm in a prison cell, and I'm thousands of miles away from home, and I haven't spoken to my family in nearly 13 years, it doesn't look like that was you when I was 17 showing me that vision. It must have just been me being excited. It must have just been some old random dream. But today we begin to see God's plan unfold in the life of God's man. One of the things we have to learn through the story of Joseph, and not just Joseph, but this is very important. I want you to see this over the next several months as we look at what I will call the heroes of the Bible. These are the people that for the most part we know their triumphs, right? We know all the great things that they did. We know why they're considered one of the fathers of the faith, why they're one of the favorite um, characters in the Old Testament. But we are quick to not realize all that they had to go through to get there. The first thing I want to say this morning to those of you who are children of God, to those of you who are serving God, understand there will be dark and lonely times in your life. And more importantly, God is with us even through the darkest and loneliest times of our life. What does it say in verse 20, the last sentence, and He was there in the prison. Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. Where? In the prison. I'm telling you, there's a reason that He promised He'd never leave us or forsake us. That verse, when we hear that verse, He'll never leave us or forsake us, it kind of makes us feel like we're just always going to be on top of the mountain because if God's with us, you're on top of the mountain. And I tell you, it doesn't take much faith to know that God's with you when you're on top of the mountain. But it's when you're in the valley and you don't understand, how did I get to this place? How could serving God and being faithful to God and and being honest in a man or a woman of integrity, how could it lead me to a place at times of such loneliness and despair and confusion? We're going to see the reason to that here momentarily. But what you have to know is that in that moment, God is with you. And that you're not the only person who's ever been there. Thank God we have this. Amen? Thank God that we can turn open to the Word of God and find out I'm not the only person who's ever been in a valley. I'm not the only person who's ever struggled. I'm not the only person who's ever been in a place that didn't make sense in my life 
where I was serving God the best I knew how, and still it didn't seem like things were going right. But God is faithful, and I can look at His Word and see that His promises are always true. We sang it this morning. He forgets our sins, but remembers all of His promises. And in the valley and in the darkest places of our life, we must remember that God is with us even there. Now, what lessons can we learn about Joseph's life? We're going to see that he is, is soon elevated to the place God told him he would be. Lesson two this morning is that to triumph through the battles of life, we must not lose sight of God and what God has said. To triumph through the battles of life, we must not lose sight of what God said. I want you to think of something for just a moment. It might sound elementary. It might sound obvious, but as I say it, and it sounds obvious, I want you to ask yourself, have you really let that sink into your heart? And that's this. There is no such thing as a victory without a fight. If there is no fight, there's nothing to win. If there is no battle, there's nothing to come out victorious on the other side. We want to be victorious because that's an awesome word. Victory is fun. Everybody likes to be the champion. Everybody likes to be the winner. And so we can preach about victory and we can preach about uh, triumphing through battles and God certainly helps us do that. But brothers and sisters, we must understand in order for that to happen, there has to be a fight. And it's in the fight and it's in the battle that if we don't keep our eyes on God, we will become discouraged, we will become confused, and we'll begin to question, God, where are you at in all of this? And God says, child, I'm right there beside you. That's where I'm at in all of this. Working my goodwill and my pleasure in your life and advancing you step by step to where I want you to be. There is battles to be fought. And in the place of, of, of that battle. And sometimes our, our focus can be so difficult to keep our eyes on God, but we must keep our eyes on God. What did Joseph say in week number two when Potiphar's wife came and tried to get him to sin against uh, his, his master and, and, and to, uh, to have a sexual relationship with her? He said, how can I do such a wicked thing and, quote, sin against God? Even as a slave in the house of Potiphar, his thoughts and his mind and his heart was focused on, I'm still a servant of God. Genesis chapter 40 and verse 8, the prisoners have had a dream and Joseph says, do not interpretations belong to God. He's been in prison. It would seem as if his dream is continuing to fade further and further away, and yet his heart and his mind is on God. Joseph remained a man of integrity because he kept his focus on God and not his circumstances. I want to submit to you that when we begin to trust in our circumstances to provide for us a sense of security, God will strategically knock our circumstances right out from underneath of our feet. Say, child, do you trust your circumstances or do you trust me? 
Circumstances change. God does not. Circumstances come and go. God does not. He is faithful when we are faithless. He is good at all times. His mercy endures forever. His love to the end of the world. And we must learn that we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, I want us to consider something this morning about the life of Joseph. Everything that Joseph was going through was actually leading him to where God wanted him. Everything that was happening to Joseph was leading him to where God wanted him to be. It wouldn't make sense. Why is he in prison? Well, the reason he's in prison is because Pharaoh's who he actually needs to come in front of, and Pharaoh's going to send some people to prison temporarily who are going to get out of prison and go back to Pharaoh and tell him about Joseph. The point is this. I've got to trust God at all times and in all things. God was using the circumstances in Joseph's life to advance him to his dream. God was in divine control. Look with me at Romans chapter 8 in verse And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Now, this is a wonderful promise to those who love God. And you need to understand something. Loving God is a whole lot more than simply saying that you love God. The Word of God says, and Jesus said in John chapter 15, if you love Me, you will keep My commandments. You need to understand that's what the Word of God says. Not if you love Me, you might keep them. Not if you love Me, you should keep them. But if you love Me, you will keep My commandments. That's what the Word of God says. So the evidence that you love God is your obedience to Him. The evidence you don't love God is your disobedience to Him. Now, with that established, look at the beautiful promise, though, to those who love God. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. All things. All things. What a beautiful promise. There is not an exception. Not all things except this work to the good of those who love God. All things. Every wicked plan that the devil will come against you with, every scheme of man to stop the plan in your life, just like Joseph's brothers, Joseph said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, just like Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery, just like Potiphar's wife lying on Joseph and sending him to prison. Everything that happens in our life, we serve a God who is able to take that thing and flip it on its head and destroy its power to destroy us and actually use it for our good. That is how awesome and powerful our God is. He is greater in wisdom than all things. Think about the absolute worst part of the curse. The fall of man. What was it? Death. Death. That is the worst thing that happened because of the curse. There's a lot of other terrible things that happened, but the worst punishment of the curse was death. 
And what has God done with death? He's defeated it. He's destroyed it. And He has chosen to use it as the very portal that His children enter through into heavenly bliss forevermore. He's taken all things and worked them together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. What is the point, preacher? The point is this, child of God, don't give up. That's the point. The point is don't get discouraged when you are attacked and when things don't make sense and you're tired and you're exhausted and it doesn't seem like your life is working the way you wanted it to work and it doesn't seem like God's plan is happening on your timetable. Don't get discouraged and stop. Stay faithful to God in the prison cell. Stay faithful to God in the place of a slave. Stay faithful and remain in your integrity and trust God that in God's time, He will take all things and work them out for your good and nothing can thwart God's plan for your life if you remain in your integrity and you're committed to Him. That's the lesson of the life of Joseph. He is our example. Joseph's story of patience is a story that we see throughout all the Bible. We think about Abraham and his fantastic, awesome victory that probably most of us remember, his story of Abraham and Isaac when he went to slay his son and, and, and the angel answered from heaven and God said, I see that you've been faithful to me and not withheld your only son from me and I'll bless you and make you the the chief of all the nations of the world, and your descendants will be as the stars in the sky. And what an awesome, awesome victory. We forget he was over a hundred years old at that time, that he failed and fell flat on his face two or three times before he got to that place of being that type of man of faith. And the reality is, I have too and so have you. But we've got to get up. And we've got to stay faithful to God. We cannot excuse our disobedience to the Lord. We cannot excuse our slothfulness to, to uh, our, our, our seeking Him and our, our time of prayer and our time of study and our time of doing the things He's called us to do simply because we're going through a difficult stage in life. The very thing that the devil wants to discourage you with is the very thing God is using to move you and position you to be blessed and exalted. The very thing the devil wants to discourage you with is the same thing God is using to make and mold you into who He wants you to be. You see, it's all about perspective. It's all about perspective. I'll tell you a story. When I was, uh, I've been saved about four years, I've been preaching about three years, and in some ways my ministry was beginning to take off, and I began to experience a bunch of crazy attacks, people saying the most wildest and, and, and outrageous things about me and against me that, I mean, I honestly wouldn't have thought was possible for someone to say something that stupid. I'd been accused of somehow stealing like $20,000 from my boss, whom I was still working for and had a great relationship with, and he knew nothing about the accusation. But I had been accused of that to my local church. 
I had had somebody call in and say that I was found, that, that their, her son had come across me using drugs and actually shooting needles in my arm at work and trying to tell him that I was a diabetic and that I was shooting myself with insulin. I mean, crazy stuff. And I was starting to get a little discouraged. You know, I'm like, goodness gracious, what, what are you going to do? What, what, why would somebody say something like that? I hadn't even did anything to these people. That's the thing about it that just was fascinating to me. Well, look, there's a devil that does use people to try to destroy God's plan for your life. You see, God was teaching me this principle at a young age in my ministry. Son, do you trust my ability to finish my plan in your life? Or do you really believe that everybody in this world could come against you and somehow stop what I'm going to do in you? And I remember it was actually a Christmas morning. It was one of the years where Christmas was on a uh, Sunday. I went to church. My pastor called me in after church and said, Look, I know this is incredibly stupid. I just, I owe you the right to know what was said. And -and so-and-so says that you did this. And -and so-and-so says that you did that. I know it's crazy. I don't even know what they're talking about. But... You just need to know what was said. And I had about a five-minute pity party. I got away from the church and I'm thinking, oh, this is, if this is, this is what the reward is for loving God and, and being a man of integrity, then what's the point? And you know what I did? I did the right thing. I finally stopped and I prayed. And I said, God, I can't control people. I can't control what they say. I don't have any reason why they say the things they say. But I know that you're able to finish your work in my life and I'm not going to retaliate. I'm not even going to call these people and ask what they were doing. I'm going to let you handle them in your time and I'm going to trust you with my life. And I want you to know something. This great sense of peace came over me. And I was driving home and I remember where I was I could, I could take you within a hundred yard span on this road that I was at when I just felt the peace come over me. And I realized this. Here's the point this morning. The very thing the devil was trying to use to discourage me, God took that thing and just drew me closer to Him. Because see, I wouldn't have taken that extra five minutes to pray and, and seek God had that thing not been attacking me. This is the amazing power of God to take every scheme of the enemy and just not only diminish its power, but actually use it to build us up and strengthen us. But the question is one of perspective. How do I choose to see the attack? Am I going to get negative and mean-spirited because Mrs. So-and-so doesn't like me or Mrs. So-and-so called and said this or Mr. You know, whatever looked at me wrong when I came in church? Or am I going to trust God? And I'm going to be faithful to God. And if we keep our eyes on God, God will take everything and use it for our good. We learn from the life of Joseph that God's ways are higher than our ways. I want you to rewind for a moment to where this whole story started, right? Joseph has a dream that God's going to elevate him to a place of prominence and his brothers are going to bow down around him. Uh, Let's just stop and think about that for a minute. How would that realistically happen in the first place? How would that happen? What what would have to occur in order for that to take place? 
The answer is something exactly like what actually happened. But we never would have thought of that. That never would have been our plan. Our plan would have been that somehow, someway, God miraculously changed all of His hateful brothers and they decided that they wanted to elevate Joseph to the place of their leader, their young brother, and bow down around him and say, Joseph, teach us your great wisdom. That's how we would have thought it would have looked like. But that was never going to happen. God knew the beginning from the end. God knew exactly how it would work out. And He didn't give Joseph all the pieces to the puzzle. I want you to understand something. God doesn't give us all the pieces to the puzzle. He says, you've got to trust Me with your life. I'll give you enough to know that it is Me calling you and that you need to follow Me, but that's it. You're going to have to take it one day at a time and the pieces will begin to fall into place. If you're going to wait to serve God and you're going to wait to surrender to God and you're going to wait to answer God's call on your life until all the pieces are there, you will wait forever. You've got to be willing to move forward with what light God has given you now. You've got to be willing to be obedient to what God has shown you this day. We see that God's ways are higher than our ways. Look at Isaiah chapter 55, uh, verse 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's understanding and infinite wisdom is so much greater than ours. And we have no option but to trust God and be faithful to Him no matter what. It's amazing as a pastor how many people that I have counseled over the years that I will tell them what God has said and their response is, well, it doesn't work. Well, I know it says that, but my situation, you don't know what it's like to have to deal with this woman. You don't know what it's like having to uh, deal with these kids or have to be in my situation or, or, or work where I work. We all have excuses for why God's Word doesn't apply to us directly. And at the end of the day, what it really comes down to is God's ways are higher than ours and so we can't understand them. We just either trust them or we don't. That's what it comes down to. And if you're going to wait until you fully understand all of God's commands, why they work the way they work, how it happens the way it happens, You'll never understand. This is why the Bible says, and I've already said it once this morning, we walk by faith, not by sight. Faith is obedience to God. Faith is believing what God has said, even though I don't fully understand it, even though I don't fully get why. Lord, it would seem like if I don't stand up for what's right and tell these people the truth, if I just... 
turn the other cheek, and if, if I just love my enemies, and if, if I just do these things, then they're going to think they're not doing anything wrong. I've got to teach them a lesson. It'll never work. The lesson you'll teach them is that you're just like they are. That's the lesson you'll teach them. That you live in the same realm, think the same way, and work the same way they work. You've got to trust God that God's in the supernatural business. God's in the business of changing hearts. God's in the business of doing what only God can do. And if we're going to be part of that, we've got to be obedient to God at all times and in all things. Not only are God's ways higher than our ways, but guess what? They're higher than our enemies' ways. That ought to give us some peace. I've already mentioned Romans 8.28. God is smarter than our worst enemies. Had the devil fully understood the plan of salvation, the plan of God's redemptive work for mankind, we wouldn't have seen the cross. But the devil didn't understand. Neither did this world. And what the enemies of God thought they were doing was putting an end to God once and for all. When in reality, God was just using them to work out His grand plan for those whom He would make His sons and daughters. Because God's ways are not only higher than our ways, His ways are higher than our enemies' ways. Oh, this morning that faith would rise up in us and we would see it is as simple as trust and obey. It really is that simple. Trust and obey. It is amazing. It is truly that incredibly simple. Not obey once you understand. Not trust if you can see the whole picture. But know what God has said and trust God on the grounds that He has said it and that's enough. Trust and obey. We learn from Joseph's life that God's perfect plan for us isn't a free ride to glory without suffering. God's perfect plan for us is not a free ride to glory without suffering. I want to show you, uh, let, let's, let's develop this thought and look at uh, one passage and then I'll reference another. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. We'll go ahead and read verse 10 and 11 because they're awesome verses. Therefore, God has also highly exalted Him and given Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here we see the triumph of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Every knee will confess and every, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. This morning, if you have not bowed your knee to God and surrendered your life to Him, if you have not confessed Him as the Lord of heaven and earth, you will. You will. The question is, will you do it before it's too late 
or will you do it on this day? But every person, every tongue, every knee will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now this here is the the overall uh, greatest passage that speaks to the victory of the Son of God. To the, the uh, uh, culmination of all that He is. That every enemy that He's ever had will one day confess that He is God. It starts out with an interesting word. It's the first word in verse 9. Therefore. Some of you have heard me say this before. That it bears repeating. Therefore means there's a reason for that. You know, if I just said to you, therefore, I need you to give me that hundred bucks. What would you say? Therefore what? Therefore, we're going to take this or we're going to take that. Therefore what? There's a reason that He was highly exalted. And remember, Jesus said, follow Me. Take up your cross and follow Me. Therefore, we find the answer about this great victory in the verses preceding. Verse 5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Now pay special attention to verse 8. It's the verse that comes before, therefore. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God's highly exalted Him. Here's the principle. And man of God, don't miss it this morning. If you want to be exalted by God, you have to be willing to go through the suffering to get there. The idea of being exalted to glory without going through suffering is actually a devilish idea. You remember what uh, Jesus said. He said to Peter and His disciples that He was going to be crucified. Peter said, no, that should not happen. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. He wasn't necessarily calling Peter Satan, nor was he implying that Peter was demon-possessed. But that the idea that you can somehow be exalted to glory without first going through the cross is the devil's plan. And we know this. Because what did the devil tell Jesus in Matthew Chapter 4, just bow down and worship me just one time, just once, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. No cross, no suffering, none of the punishment, none of the hatred, none of the beard plucked out of your face and people spitting upon you and the crucifixion and the flesh ripped off your back publicly. None of that. I'll give you the glory now. This is the devil's way. And we see as we look at the life of every man of God, including the one we're studying, including Jesus Himself, including the disciples, and so on and so on and so on. God uses suffering and affliction as part of the process. No wonder the apostles said, we glory 
in our tribulations and our afflictions. Because God takes them and uses them to make us and mold us into the men and women He wants us to be. So you need to understand that God's perfect and flawless plan for your life is not a free ride to glory without suffering. Have you ever been in a place where you were uh, the valley, a difficult time of life? Have you ever found it good and peaceful to know that Hebrews tells us we have a high priest who is tempted like us, yet without sin? Afflicted in the way we're afflicted? Have you ever had anybody that tries to comfort you that doesn't, just honestly, they're being good people and they're, and they're trying to be as kind as they can, but you know they don't have any idea what you're going through? Most of the time their counsel is not very helpful. You've got to know, this person understands my pain. They know what I'm saying. They know it. Well, if you're ever going to be able to help somebody that's in that position, guess what? More than likely, you're going to have to go through it too. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness when the devil came to Him 40 days without food. And we see the principle as we see it in the life of Joseph. Men, you need to understand this as the head of your home. The principle applies to all of us to some degree. But here's the principle. Before you can rule over others, you have first got to prove that you can rule over yourself. We also see this in the life of Joseph. Look at chapter 40. In verse, I've got to get back to my text. Genesis chapter 40. Verse 4, Pharaoh has sent his butler and his baker to the prison. And in verse 3, Joseph was put over them. And in verse 4, and the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them and served them. He served them. That is, he took care of them. He met their needs. He was over them. We see the principle that God's men are servants, not tyrants. Jesus was a servant. On His last night with His disciples, He knelt and washed their feet and said, as I, though your Master, have treated you as if you were Mine, and I'm paraphrasing, and I have washed your feet, He says, so you do likewise. He said, My kingdom doesn't work like other kingdoms where you observe authority over people. But he that wants to be great has to be the least. He that wants to rule over all must become the servant of all. Pray that God would help us as men to get this in our hearts this morning. The man who rules his home the way God wants him to rule his home is the man who is a servant to his wife and children, not a tyrant over them. And just because your wife has been placed in God's divine wisdom and His ways are higher than our ways, just because she's been placed in that position of of submitting to your authority does not give you a free license to trample over her and use that over her head as if you're the man of the family and you wear the pants. 
You need to be a servant to her the same way Christ is a servant to you. Real men of God are servants. And not just servants to our wives and servants to our children. Joseph was a servant to these people in prison. Understand this about real, true Christianity. There is no favoritism with God. We don't just try to be humble servants to the people that we think will somehow help us be elevated to those in the church that we want everyone to think that we're great, humble servant people. God's servants are servants everywhere. When nobody's looking, and it doesn't matter who they are, doesn't matter where they live, doesn't matter whether what color they are, whether they're fat or skinny, tall or short, poor or rich, we should be servants of everyone. God does not show favoritism. And for those of you here this morning that are saved, thank God for that. I was a worthless person. Yet He found value in me. Thank God He's not a respecter of persons. Because I didn't deserve any respect at all. But what that term really tells us is that God treats us all as equals. That God loves every one of us. That means you here this morning. You know God loves you. He loves you. If you don't think He does, explain the cross. It's the proof that He loves you. He's already done it. It's finished. It's accomplished. He shed His blood and He gave His life so that He could be in a relationship with you. That is love. And you can't argue with that. He loves you. And His love forced Him to be a servant on our behalf. God's men are servants everywhere to everyone and always. Patience and obedience must be our mark as we wait upon God to work out His will for our plan and our lives. The story goes on. I'm going to tell it to you briefly. There's so much uh, reading that I'm just going to tell you and you can read it yourself. Joseph um, ends up interpreting it a dream for these two men. And one of them eventually tells the Pharaoh about it because the Pharaoh has a dream and he can't figure out what the dream means. And one of these two men says, you know, Pharaoh, when I was in prison, there was a guy named Joseph and he interpreted our dreams and both of the times he interpreted them, they came out 100% correct. Pharaoh said, go get that man and bring him here. And so they went and they got Joseph and they brought him to Pharaoh and Pharaoh said, here's my dream. And Joseph said, here's the interpretation of your dream. We're about to have seven really good years here in the land. But after the seven good years, we are going to have seven years that are so terrible that none of us that are living have ever seen anything like it. And there is going to be famine in the land. And here's what you need to do. You need to stock up for seven years everything that you can and bring it to the storehouse. That way, during the seven years of famine... We have something to live on. And Pharaoh said, this man, the Spirit of God is in him. May we be men that the world around us can look at us and say, the Spirit of God is in that man. Because that's what was said of Joseph. And Pharaoh said, get him out of prison. 
Here's my ring. Put this ring on his finger and whatever he says from now on comes with my authority. Matter of fact, I want him so close that I want him to ride behind me in the second chariot behind the king's chariot and I want people to bow down to him the same way they bow down to me. And now all of a sudden, Joseph's elevated to this place of prominence. Like that. But you know what happened before that? Thirteen years is what happened. Thirteen years. We have to be patient and trust God through the seasons of life that don't make sense to us. And I want to submit, if you don't, you might turn 13 years into 30. We've got to trust God. Well, guess what? The famine comes, just like God showed Joseph. And Joseph's brothers don't have any food to eat. They hear that there's food at Pharaoh's table. And Jacob says, go and get some food. And Joseph's brothers come. And to make the long story short, Joseph is reunited with his brothers. At first, they're in utter fear and they think, oh, he's going to kill us because we were going to kill him. Joseph said, no, uh uh-uh. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And Joseph blessed his brothers. He ended up bringing his father and his father's family to the land that they, that, uh, near Joseph gave them a plot of land to live on. And while everybody else was suffering through the famine for seven years, Joseph and his family were fed well. And what God told Joseph at the age of 17 finally came to pass at the age of 30. I want to say that as we study the fact of God's divine will being worked out in our lives, May this study of Joseph help us to be patient as Christians. I think I've probably said it a time or two in this study. Our culture teaches us to get it now. I don't want to wait for it. I want it now. I want a new car now. I want new clothes now. I want a new house now. Which would explain why we are the most debt-ridden society in the history of the world. In the history of the world. And that same attitude crept into our relationship with God. God, I'll serve you for a week. But if everything in my life doesn't change in a week, and I'm still poor, and my car still don't work, and I still don't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or my husband don't treat me right, or my wife don't come back home, or I don't get a new job, or whatever it is you're trying to bargain with God with, you cut and run. Because we live in a cut and run society. God's looking for men and women who will trust and obey for 13 years if it means 13 years. And listen to the preacher this morning on the authority of the Word of God. I promise you, with God's promises, God will finish His plan in your life if you don't abandon Him. I can't promise it's going to happen in a week. can't promise that. God's given you a vision. You feel God's called you to serve Him in any capacity, whether it's just simply coming to Him in the free pardon of sin and surrendering to Him, whether it may be a call on your life, I cannot guarantee that it's going to look the way you want it to look next month, but I can guarantee this, what God has said, God will accomplish. And we have got to remain faithful. And we've got to be willing to be patient and trust God. And thank God that our God is bigger than our enemies. 
All the devils in hell can't stop God's plan for your life. Because God is almighty. He is all-powerful. There is nothing that He cannot do. As our worship team comes this morning, I want to look at one last passage. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Hey, if God started it, He'll finish it. You just trust that. Your circumstances might be unfavorable. You might not understand why the last couple of years of your life have looked the way that they've looked. And, and, and maybe your life isn't going the way that you scripted it right now. But can I tell you this morning, be faithful to God. Stand in your integrity, man of God. Stand in your integrity, woman of God. And know that in God's time and His timetable, when the time is right, when it's fully come, He will finish what He started in your life. Don't turn to the left or the right. Don't grow discouraged in the prison cell and throw up your hands and say, it's not worth it. Yes, it is worth it. Oh, it's worth it. He'll be with you even there. It's all about perspective. Father, I pray that you'd move all across this room right now in hearts. I've preached, Lord, this morning to the man and woman of God. I've preached to your children this morning, Lord, to be strong and courageous and to stand in their integrity.